Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today against some of the way in which the enemy has been coming against you, me, us. Because the enemy means to jack your life up. But God means to produce something so awesome through your life that the world takes notice and can't help but give God praise and shout because of the way in which you live. I uh, am excited about this day because we're talking about offense in a little different way. The first week we talked about offense and moving from offense to offense. This last week we talked about the need to press forward and push the attack. And today I want to talk about the counterattack and how God has equipped you and me to offer a counteroffensive against the enemy's offense against us. Some years ago, I was preaching on a topic that's going to be very closely aligned with what it is that we're speaking about today. And I wanted to talk to my teenagers. This is in Pennsylvania, my first stop in my pastoral tour. And I was associate and teenage uh, pastor of students. And I wanted to communicate about the power and fire of God. And I said, when the fire of God hits you, it will cause the world to take notice of your life and they'll see God inside of you. But also, that fire doesn't burn you, but will be something that's attractive to others and people are drawn to the fire. And to illustrate this point, what I had done is I'd made a clear bucket, a clear bucket, and filled it with clear liquid. The clear liquid inside the bucket looked like water, but was actually rubbing alcohol. So I said, and when the power of God hits you, even if your life feels like it's been all watered down and your message has been watered down, God will take that watered down message and ignite it. I shoved my hand in that water and I I lit my arm on fire like this. And everyone, all these students, we had a lot of them back then, they start going, yeah, they were real excited. And though I had practiced putting the fire out with a wave of my hand, Two or three times in practice before service. For some reason, when I lit my hand on fire, maybe there was a little bit too much alcohol on my hand. The fire didn't go out when I waved it. And then I waved it again. And then it didn't go out. And by now, the congregation of students is smelling singed hair on my arm. And I'm starting to pat my arm down. Don't try this at home. I started to pat my arm down. And then I said, you know what? The Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 12 that our God is a consuming fire and sometimes there's just no way to consume what God does no harm no foul the sermon was memorable maybe for the wrong reasons but the sermon was memorable but it's a nice segue into the way in which we are going to approach some scripture today Our text is found in Daniel chapter 3. And we're talking about some familiar scripture, but I hope to illumine for you this morning a different perspective on this sacred and awesome text. To set up sort of the groundwork or sort of the background for what was going on here, the people of God that had sworn allegiance to put God first in every area of their life began to relent in their commitment to the Lord. God wasn't first. For many, God was second, third, and in some cases, last. And because God wasn't first, God relented and allowed his hand to come off. He said, if you don't want me as uh, the prime person in your life, I don't need to be. I'm happy to withdraw. And so God did. 
And a neighboring nation called Babylon seizes upon this moment and carries off into exile all the best and brightest that Israel had to offer. Some were left back and they thought it was because they were blessed, but things didn't fare very well for them. They were not the prized of Israel, but sort of the outcast. But the best and the brightest are carried off. But in being carried off, there was something that was also taking place. And that was called re-education into the world system. You see, the thought went like this, that if you were conquered, if your nation was overrun by another nation, it meant that the strength of your God had also been overthrown. That God has been defeated. That's the worldview that they have back then. And maybe that worldview seems alien to you, but if we really started to think about it, it intersects with us quite often when it feels like our fear overruns our faith. Those are moments where it feels like our God has been overrun. When you've prayed relentlessly for the Lord to answer a prayer, only to have seeming denial about you all of the time, those foreign gods feel like they have conquered our God when we've prayed for healing and healing hasn't come. When we are believing for deliverance for our, our, our children who are bound up in addictions or in the way of life that's sort of playing its tune and leading them astray, we know that feeling too. And so we find our identification point with the people of Israel because for all intents and purposes, they had lost everything. And the most powerful God in all of the universe, or at least in their mind, had been conquered. That's sort of the framework that undergirds where it is that we're going to go this morning because the people are in exile. But as the prophet Ezekiel reminds us, they are not in exile alone. For no, the glory did not, could not, and would not stay habited inside of the temple. But the glory departs the temple. But in a move of unexpected wonder, shifts its presence with people that are now in exile. So this morning, if you feel like you've been exiled, God is with you in exile. If you feel broken, God is with you in your brokenness. And even if you have lost faith in God, God has never once lost faith in you. And he is there with you in that place of utter brokenness. But sometimes the brokenness can be so final that there feels like there isn't really a coming back. Maybe if you've gone through heartbreak of an intense type, you know what this feels like. Or if your life has not turned out the way that you thought it would, maybe you can identify with where they're at. They've lost everything. They've lost their home. Their families have been displaced. Everything about the way in which they were experiencing life is done. It's all been uprooted. So you can imagine when we get to our text why it is that the people just feel like the only way they can survive is to assimilate, just to become another member of Babylon. And we find that there are, in fact, many that have done just that. 
Nebuchadnezzar thinking him to be, thinking himself to be a mighty, mighty king, he was, that could subdue all the nations around, he was, decides that he's going to build this edifice in his honor, a statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, overlaid with gold. And to add insult to injury, to add even more cred to the rehabilitation of their mind process, just to remind them that they were defeated people. He says, when you hear the music sound, the harps, the lyres, and, and the, the flutes and the other stringed instruments going and they sound, you bow down to this idol. And you know what? All of the Israelites bow. Daniel's recording this word, and what's interesting about it is that he doesn't exclude himself from those that bow. In other places through Daniel, when he's with the lions, he talks about how it is that he didn't lose faith. In the first chapter of Daniel, he refused to defile himself, but maybe even he has fallen victim to it. We have to think that that's at least a possibility or a strong possibility because every other place he says and talks about how it is that he stands up. But here, his name is not mentioned because sometimes when the pressure gets hot, even the most devoted can falter. Even those that have the strongest and most ardent commitment can back down. But Daniel records the words of three that refuse to bow down. He records the episode for us this morning because he wants us to know how it is that Israel was restored back into faith in God and how it was that even in the midst of a time where they felt like they were conquered, where they were overthrown, that they launch a counteroffensive that changes everything. The officials in Babylon take notice that when the music sounds, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not having any of it. When the music sounds, they don't bow. And so the king's servants said to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 9, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flutes, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, listen to this taunt, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. All of Israel is selling out, 
except for three. And this is important because I feel like in our day and time, we live in a world where many are selling out their faith to sort of fit in with pop culture. We are oppressed at work and told that if we speak the language of the kingdom of God, we speak about Christ, we could lose our job. And so what we do in mass is sort of submit to the laws of the age, that we can't speak certain words because they're offensive now. We can't live into the truth because Christians are called bigots. They're called uh, all kinds of uh, intolerant and all kinds of other names to try to demean their place. And so what Christians are starting to do in our culture is back down. Here just this past week we saw, if you were paying attention to the news, that Young Life was thrown off of the campus of Duke. Why? Because they found their policies to be in uh, contradiction to their standards at the school. Specifically their views on marriage. And so they tossed them off the campus. But here in the scripture, we see how it is that these men, despite what culture was saying, despite the sound of the Pied Piper that was trying to grip them in the lies of that age, they launch a counteroffensive, and they do so in such a way that changes the mentality about who God is in culture. And this morning, I'm just going to lay my cards out on the table pretty plain for you right away. I believe that God is calling some people in this church specifically to not back down. I feel like he's calling everyone, but I feel like some are actually going to take me up on it. And we're about to see some pretty crazy, awesome things. These men, they launch a counteroffensive. Why? Because there was no way that they could imagine ever selling themselves out. But here in our culture, people sell out for far less. They'll sell out to sin. They'll sell out to addiction. They'll sell out to garbage. And then they'll call other sellouts when they're the ones that are actually selling themselves short of God's destiny and design for their life. So these men, they give us some advice. And the first bit of advice they said for us this morning is that if we're going to have a counteroffensive, then we need to stop playing it safe. When I was uh, in college, we were playing a superior opponent to us. They had better athletes, they had better uh, 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 skill, and they had better coaches. So our coach says, we can't beat this team, I don't think, and so we're going to have to play some strong defense and just sort of hope for the best. So he put everyone back on defense except for one person they left up, and they said, you need to play a defensive game, and you know what? We lost a very close game, something like two to zero. And here's what I know about playing it safe is that you'll never win. The reason why this story is recorded in scripture is because they took God up on a challenge and God met them. You see, they could have chosen to go about this a different direction, but they said, no matter what, I'm not selling out. We're going to go on a counteroffensive and we're going to push our position. And that's exactly what we see these men doing. They tell the king, look, I know what the edict is, but we can't do that because to do that is to sell out something that we're not willing to sell, something that isn't for sale, and that is our faith in the God that's able to deliver us through this situation. But here's where the enemy loves to do his best work for you and I. He wants us to play it safe. 
to try to protect our assets or our position. If I really speak out, this can happen to me. If I really live into my faith, I'm going to lose this sort of status among my peers or my friends. If I really step out and lived what I said I believed, then others would judge me. And so in fear, we cower back. And in cowering back, what the enemy does is take more ground and more ground and more ground. And now in our culture, it's becoming more and more socially acceptable to oppress those that actually carry the truth, which is those that proclaim the word of God. It's becoming increasingly difficult. And the reason why is because people keep trying to protect theirs and their own. Meanwhile, the enemy is taking more ground and more ground and more ground. Could it be the reason why you feel stuck this morning? It's because the enemy has just been able to run uh, roughshod all over your life and oppress you in every single way that he has because you refuse to take a counteroffensive. See, the key in that game was, is if we're always playing defense, there's no way that you can actually win. You've got to, at some point, launch a counteroffensive, and the best time to do that is when the enemy is pushing ahead. When everyone is on the offensive side thinking that they've got you attacked, it's that moment that you see that your opponent is also most vulnerable because there's a large part of the field that's undefended. And if you can just get beyond that point, you'll see victory. But that's where I feel like we miss it because we're always playing defense. We're always trying to, well, if I really step out, this could come against me or this could harm me. And so we refuse to. Holding on to our sanity for dear life, holding on to our sense of security and our our finances, our money, because we're afraid that if we really live into it, it's going to cost us. But I want to tell you this morning, it's costing you more. Costing you more to sit back and to play defense. A lot of times we become defensive when somebody wounds us, but now you got to launch the counter effect. When somebody offends us, the, the object is not to guard ourselves, but to launch a counter offensive and to love them with even greater love because in doing so, you break down the walls of defense because you've now gone on offense. You see, that's the power of the kingdom of God. And that's what we see happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refuse to relent. In the face of these fears, they say, you know what? We're good. We're not going to back down. We're going to actually rise up. And the way they do that is they recover their sense of identity. Now, this matters a lot and actually a key to the text and something that's often missed because we've all heard the stories. If you've been in church or went to children's church, you've, at some point in your life, you've heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But there's something of their identity that was lost when it was displaced. Because for the people of Israel, they were tied to the covenant land. The land was part of the promise. And when you've been uprooted from everything that you found your identity in... You start to lose your sense of gravity for your life. You feel like you're displaced, don't know where you're going or where, you're, where your life is headed. You're struggling and the reason is, is because that identity has been ripped up and that's what the enemy has been doing to you and to me our whole lives, trying to uproot our identity as people that have been made and crafted in the image of God and instead to subdue us, to form us after the image that he wants rather than God's. But they're after something. They said, no, we need to call Israel back to themselves. We need to call the church back to its character and its purpose. We're going to rise up here and do something that that the world has never seen before. 
And I like to call this recover your identity bit the rope-a-dope. Muhammad Ali, before I was uh, uh, a... Um, a uh, born before maybe some of you were born maybe some of you remember this he was fighting uh, Frazier and as he's fighting Frazier who is a superior opponent to him he knows at the time that he can't outmatch him in strength and so what he does is he does the rope-a-dope so he leads up against the rope and he lets Frazier throw blows tiring himself out and he looks for his key his opportunity when he sees the vulnerability of his opportunity and he launches an offense and with just a couple of blows he takes Frazier by storm and he doesn't anticipate it and he knocks him out. He knocks him out in the thriller in Manila because he was not ready for that counterattack. And sometimes when the enemy exposes himself and is pressing us as hard as he is, just practice that rope-a-dope because God is holding you up from the back and he's waiting for you to press forward at just the right time because when you launch that counteroffensive, you will overthrow whatever it is that the enemy has trying to be, to tried to subdue your life with. You see, they were after an identity. We are the people of God. We might not live in the land, but God is still with us here. We might have lost all our possessions, but God is still with us here. Our family may be scattered all over the place, but God is still with us here. And they lay claim to who they are in Christ. You know, it's real significant. And something you probably miss if you just pick up the reading in Daniel chapter 3. In the span of six verses that I just read just a minute ago, I use the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on three different occasions in six verses. There's a play on words here in Scripture that's easy to miss because we all know the story as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego too, but that's not their name. Their names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And this is significant because the names that they're given as part of the acculturation process say something different about their purpose and destiny than the names that they were given originally with their parents. Hananiah, you see, means the Lord is gracious. But when they give Hananiah the name Shadrach, whose name means under the command of Aku, if he buys that lie, then he understands that he's a defeated person. But when he recognizes the fact that God is gracious in his life, it takes on a whole new meaning. He is laying claim to who he is destined to be, not who they have said he is. And in the same way, when we lay claim to who God has said that we are as victorious people, as people that are more than conquerors, as people that are strong in his strength and powerful in his might, we have a different kind of power than if we just follow in to the world's mantra of powerless living. The name Mishael means who is like God. And yet, Meshach means who is like Aku, the, the, the moon god. So you can be a lot like the moon god, which is sort of like the warrior god. You're, 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 who's like this god? But he says, no, 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 who is like the real god? And so Mishael is laying claim to his identity as who he is as a person of, of God who's, who's able to represent the power of God. And Abednego, his name is actually Azariah which means the Lord helps. The Lord helps. Not servant of Nego. That's what Abednego means. 
And so here now we see something pretty powerful happening. These men are reclaiming their sense of destiny and purpose in God. And they tell the king, look, we're not going to bow down to this. No matter how many times you play that music, no matter how many times the sound of the age resonates through our culture, no matter how many times we visit this point, we are going to overcome because we trust and believe in the power of God, which brings us to the third thing that we see that they do. They're relentless. They don't relent. The king says to them, if you do not submit to this order and when the music plays if you don't do it we're gonna throw you in the furnace I don't care where you work or how high your status is you're going in the fire and we're gonna heat that fire up seven times as hot as it is now but I love their words verses 17 and 18 if we are thrown in that blazing furnace the God we serve is able to deliver us from it And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious. He's offended. And so they light the fire up. And the scripture says it like this, that they bound them up hands and feet. And the men that went to go throw them in the fire, the fire is so hot that they die throwing them into the fire. It's that hot. But I love the way that the scripture sort of redirects this moment. Because the king says, hey, wait a second. Didn't we throw three men into the fire? Yes, king, we did. Killed some people along the way. Well, who's that fourth guy? In the fire, I see another person, and that person looks like the Son of God. You see, when you are in the fire, you are never in the fire alone. And here's another mystery I've learned about God. God isn't always so concerned with delivering us from the fire. But he does his best work delivering us through it. And so this morning, maybe you feel like you're bound up. Maybe you feel like you're stuck and that you're lost. Maybe you feel like you can't find your breakthrough. I want to tell you, tell them to turn that heat up. Because the same bondage that held you in that before the fire will be delivered from you as you walk through it. You will see the power of God in a more unique way. And I love this. The king says after this event happens, he says, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, may they be cut to pieces and their houses be burned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Could it be that the world, what the world is so desperate to see is people that will live that. Could it be that what the world needs are people that will say, you know what? I know it's hot in here, but go ahead and turn it up. Because with, for us as believers, we know that suffering is God's refining stuff to produce his power and glory through and in our lives. And so when the suffering increases, we know that God's intentions to bring us through. And the victory that he intends is far greater. So we can look at the enemy and say, is that all you got? Two accidents in nine days? Bring about six more. Because I'm not bowing my knee. I'm not going to bow my knee and I'm 
calling the church not to bow their knee either, to rise up and take their place. They can cancel ministries on campuses, but they can't stop the campus from coming and believing. They can try to shut you up at work, but they can't shut up the power of God bringing the miracle for the one you prayed for. They can't stop up heaven's blessings. They can try to come against your finances, but the one that owns a cattle on a thousand hill can bring it just as fast as they take it. I want to tell you, there is no power in the universe like the power of God. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael are teaching us. That when the culture is putting its pressure on us, be more culturally sensitive. Refine your message to sound more like the culture in the sound of this age. We can rise up in the midst of that and say, turn up the heat if you've got to. But I promise you one thing, there will be no bowing down to that idol. You can play that music and try to lure us away with that Pied Piper sound. But we will not bow and we will see the glory of God. I believe what this generation is waiting to see is for authentic faith like that to rise up from the people of God that are relentless in their pursuit. I believe Daniel watching this is the power that gave Daniel the courage to stand when he himself was facing the lions a few chapters later when he was tossed in there for his relentless prayer. And I believe that their story is an invitation to us this morning into a world maybe that we have yet to live into. One that completely trusts in the power of God to lead us in the purposes and blessings that he has in store for our lives. We want you to know, O King, our God will deliver us from your hands. But I want to promise you one thing, even if he doesn't, these knees hitting the ground to that statue ain't never going to happen. What are your idols in your life? These days, it's not mainstream to have idols carved by stone. But sometimes the fear is the idol that pushes us down. Sometimes it's mental oppression. Sometimes it's discouragement. Sometimes it's unanswered prayers or delay to our answers. Sometimes it's the threat of losing what it is that we've seemed to have worked so hard for. All of these gods, they're false. They have no true power, but they subdue our hearts to the degree that we feel like we can't make progress. Yet here today we learn from the lives of these three and the story that's recorded, that God loves to deliver his people through the fire as much as he delivers them from. In fact, maybe more so. Let's say it had gone the other direction. King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? Nah, I like these guys. They're not gonna be thrown into the fire furnace. It's not even worthy of a story to be written down. The reason we're recorded and we savor its memory in our hearts is because he turned up the heat and God brought them through. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You know I'm a collector of stories. I love sharing ways in which I see the, the lived power of God that I've been preaching manifest itself in just everyday life. 
And as I was preparing for this story, I was reminded of something that I'd heard a while back about a nurse named Nicole Jolly. This nurse, she was working the hospital during the Paradise Fires in California that were burning up the entire state, it seemed. And she was determined that she was going to help those that were under her charge and The fires were raging and they said, it's time to go. You need to leave the hospital because if you don't leave, we can't guarantee your safety. She says, I can't leave these here. I can't bow to the idol of fear. I'm going to stay until all of my patients have been evacuated safely. She evacuates 60 patients out. They get on the, the, the telecom and they, they communicate to her and says, the way you are going to go home, you can't go that way. That road now is overrun with flames. You have to go this other route. There is a clear path. We recommend you and the other workers, they take this direction. So Nicole takes that direction. But on her way down the road, the, the winds shift And the fire starts to overlap the road. It leaps from one side of the road to the other. And there's a standstill in the traffic. Everything has stopped because the fire is raging. And the danger is too much. So she can't move forward. Her car is filling up with smoke. She offers a prayer. God, I need your help. And then phones her husband. Says, hey, honey, it doesn't look like I'm going to make it. Cars filling up with smoke. And I just want you to know I love you. And her husband speaks the word of the Lord to her and says, don't relent. Don't back down. I want you to do something that sounds crazy. Get out of the car and run. The car is literally melting because of the heat and he is telling her to run and to expose herself to that heat. She gets out. She runs. Her scrub pants catch fire as she's running. She notices another car in the distance. She knocks on the door. They open the door. It's one of the doctors from the place. And she says to them, what are we going to do? We're stuck in this place. And they pray together again. And they ask God for help. God, you alone can get us out of this. We were doing your work. We didn't bow to fear and we saved those 60, but now we need you to save us. The doctor looks at the nurse and says, what should we do? Should we stay here? And she says, no, we've got to run. We've got to not relent. We've got to press forward. And so she gets out of the car. Now the smoke is so thick, she can't see in front of her. And so she's sort of like this, moving about in the, in, the, in the smoke, in the fire, just licking about her. And she puts her hand in front of her in one of her flailings and lays hold of a fire truck. She beats on the side. They pull her in. They cover her with a fire blanket. She thinks, well, maybe now I'm safe. I'm in the vehicle that fights fire. And so certainly this thing is made to be fireproof, but alas, it wasn't so. The paint on the side was beginning to peel and to melt. The fire was licking up around them. And just at the very last moment when it seemed like they would finally be overwhelmed by the flames, it's as if something supernatural, a dozer came out of nowhere and pushes the debris that was on fire away from the fire and covered it with all of the dirt that they had found underneath the road. And they were able to escape safely. 
She could have bowed her knee to fear at that hospital, but she didn't. She could have said no when the flames were licking up around her and her husband said to get moving and not to stay where she, she was, but she didn't. She believed, she pressed, and God brought her through. What's the message? When we believe and we press, God will come through for you too. You see, we serve an enemy, a God who says the enemy is already defeated. We serve a God that says the enemy is already under our feet. And so you let that God come up against you with every blow he can muster. And you just rope a dope that guy. And you wait for your moment and launch the counteroffensive. It's time you take your life back. It's time you take your marriage back. It's time you take your addicted children back. It's time you take your financial security back. It's time you take your sanity back. The enemy cannot hold what God has said that he is determined to bless. The enemy can't stop what God has already declared victorious. And I just dare somebody right now to get up on their feet and begin to worship God and say to that enemy, turn that heat up if you want. But I'm not bowing down to that idol. You can cause me to rest, but I'm not bowing down to that idol. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to see victory. Bad report from the doctor. I'm not bowing down to that idol. I'm going to bow only to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's give God some praise and let's worship him for just a minute. I hear the sounds of victory in this place. I sense new anointing and new glory just rushing into this house. Some of you came in here today defeated. But I hear the sounds of victory in my spirit. The enemy thought he had you. <laughs> but you just roped that dope in <laughs> to the victory that God plans. You are victorious in his name. You are more than a conqueror. So in persecution, in famine, in sickness... We know that in all these things that we are more than conquerors in Christ. The devil doesn't want you to know that today. But I've come here today to declare it to you. Because some of you have been walking with your heads down. You've been walking as if you are defeated. You have believed the lie that your marriage can't be restored. You have believed the lie that you can't ever find that, that, that someone to marry. You believe the lie that drugs are a better high than Jesus. You have believed the high that, that sin is better than a life in God. And I want to tell you this, that God is greater. His purposes of you are stronger. His blessing for you more wonderful than any of us can even begin to fathom. And so as we worship here this morning, I just want to press in a little bit longer. Because I feel like there's some that are just on the brink of that victory. And I want to help you to get there. So I'm going to ask my prayer workers to come over here to the cross. If you have a spiritual need, if you've got a physical need, if you've got a need, a family need, if you've got a need for salvation, I want you to join us over here at the cross. Because I know that God desires to meet with you and desires to turn every situation that you're facing today in the victorious power of Christ. This altar is going to be opened. And as we sing it one more time, if you've got any need, I want you to meet us over here. We want to pray with you. Let's sing it once more. Come on.
Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.